Well, let me tell you a bit of the story of Nabil Qureshi. Uh, Nabil grew up as a devout Pakistani Muslim in America. Uh, he could, uh, he could trace, his family could trace their Muslim heritage all the way back to the time of Muhammad himself. Uh, by age five, Nabil could recite the entire Quran in Arabic and even had uh, memorised the last seven chapters. Uh, by age 15, he'd committed the last 15 chapters to memory in both English and Arabic. His grandfather and great-grandfather were Muslim missionaries, uh, spending their lives preaching Islam to unbelievers in Indonesia and Uganda. Nabil's whole life, his identity, his culture, his family, were all inseparably tied to the beliefs and practices of Islam. But then in university, Nabil met a Christian named Adam, who uh, challenged him with the truths of the Bible. And after many, many conversations, often heated, Nabil slowly became convinced of the truth of the Christian gospel. But there was a problem. He knew that to become a Christian would devastate his family, whom he loved so much. His conversion would be seen by them as a shameful betrayal of their prophet and of their culture and, of course, of the family itself. And he knew that it would probably result in their disowning him. And so Nabil pushed off the claims of Jesus, not because of a lack of evidence, but because he had so much to lose. Well, today as we continue in our sermon series on the Gospel of John, we'll meet some other people who also had a lot to lose if they were to follow Jesus. Uh, today we reach the second part of John chapter 5, and uh, if you don't already have a Bible open in front of you, can I encourage you to grab one now and turn with me to John chapter 5, it's page 754 of the small print, 1655 of the large print Bibles. And as you're looking that up, let me remind you that last week we heard Jesus making some pretty big claims. In fact, he's just, he's just claimed nothing less than equality with God. He's claimed the ability to raise all the dead at the end of time. And he's claimed the right to judge everyone and determine their eternal destiny. Big claims. Huge claims. Claims which, if they're true, demand a response. But Jesus realises that if all he has to offer people are these big claims without any corroborating evidence, then people would be crazy to believe him. That alone, his, his own testimony about himself would be insufficient, invalid. And so now, in today's passage, Jesus acts a bit like a lawyer in a courtroom, where he starts calling in his witnesses, witnesses of reputable character, who back up these claims he's making about himself. And his first witness is John the Baptist. Now, you might remember that back in chapter 1, a bunch of these religious authorities with whom Jesus is now talking were sent to John to check him out. Because at that time, John had become very popular. And so these guys were sent to see if John was going to cause trouble for them or not. And at first, these Jews, like everyone else, rather liked John. He, he kind of reminded them 
of the prophets of old. You know, a real man of God. And at first, they found John's message rather exciting. His declaration that the promised Messiah was about to arrive, that the kingdom of God was near. His denouncement of all kinds of social evils. They really liked this kind of talk. But what they couldn't swallow was John's ultimate message, that Jesus was the Messiah that they'd been waiting for. Jesus, who who had called these religious leaders hypocrites. Uh, Jesus, who had scandalised them by by hanging out with the scum of society. Uh, Jesus, who had little regard for their nitpicky religious rules. Now, these guys were not big fans of Jesus. And yet, many of these religious leaders still had a grudging respect for John. And so here's Jesus. Here here Jesus wants to point out that that he doesn't stand alone in claiming that he has come from God, but that he has John the Baptist on his side. Not that Jesus needs John's testimony to validate himself, but he mentions him so that these people might, might reconsider their verdict on him. Uh, reconsider the, the possibility that just maybe Jesus is from God, just like John had said. Because ultimately what Jesus wants is for these people to put their trust in him, that he might grant them eternal life. He read with me from chapter 5, verse 31. Chapter 5, verse 31, where Jesus says, If I testify about myself... My testimony is not valid. There is another who testifies in my favour and I know that his testimony about me is valid. You have sent to John and he has testified to the truth. Not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it that you may be saved. John was a lamp that, that burned and gave light and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. See, Jesus isn't just looking to win an argument here. He's looking to win souls. And so he reminds these people that John the Baptist, that man they think may be a true prophet, clearly testified that he, Jesus, is from God. So Jesus isn't alone in making this claim, and that's one good reason to believe him. Well, then Jesus calls forward his next witness, who is none other than, well, God himself. And if these people don't believe the testimony of John the Baptist, then surely they should believe the testimony of God the Father. After all, there is no more significant testimony than his. But how exactly does God testify about Jesus? Well, according to Jesus, he does it in a couple of ways. Firstly, God testifies about Jesus through his works. In other words, he backs him up by enabling him to do amazing miracles. I mean, think about it. Uh, So far in the Gospel of John, uh, we've seen Jesus turn water into wine. We've seen him heal from a distance uh, a boy who was at death's door. And and we've seen him restore a, a lame man who hadn't walked for 38 years. And we're still only at chapter 5. I'm sure you'd agree these are not normal everyday occurrences. 
They're miracles that only God himself can do. And so obviously they attest to the fact that Jesus is doing the very work of God. These people here who are opposing Jesus have seen with their own eyes that lame man walking around. They've heard with their own ears that Jesus was the one who had healed him. And yet not once have they stopped to consider the possibility that just perhaps Jesus really is who he claims to be. Why? Well, put simply, it's because they're unwilling to listen to God's word. Let it rock their comfortable status quo. Not that they don't read God's word, the Old Testament scriptures, they, they do read them. In fact, these particular Jews are experts in the scriptures. They they can no doubt recite large slabs of the Bible, word for word, better than than you or I ever will. They've spent ages poring over it, convinced that their impressive Bible knowledge will somehow win them favour with God. But Jesus points out that these Bible experts have in fact missed the whole point of the Bible. That God hasn't just backed Jesus up through his miracles, but has also done it through the pages of Scripture. But these religious leaders, they fail to realise that because they're spiritually blind and spiritually deaf. Blind, blind to all the Old Testament prophecies about Jesus. Hundreds of prophecies which are now being fulfilled by Jesus almost on a daily basis. And they're deaf, deaf to the whole narrative of the scriptures, the the whole unfolding story of the Bible, which so clearly anticipates the coming of Jesus. God, you see, had given these people the Old Testament scriptures to act like a great big sign, a great big sign pointing to Jesus, revealing him to be the Messiah, the Saviour, the Son of God. But these people have failed to grasp the true meaning of Scripture. For them, God's Word is a mere textbook, a source of academic pride when they master it. But sadly, it isn't in their hearts. It hasn't mastered them. They're a bit like me in a modern art gallery. You know, you can take me to a modern art gallery. You can pay my entrance fee to get me in. You can show me a piece of modern art. And I can tell you exactly what it looks like. I can tell you that it's got a a blob of yellow over here. And a blob of purple over there. I can tell you that it looks like something my four-year-old drew. But that's it. Because, see, I just don't get it. I don't understand it. I don't get its point. I don't get its meaning. Basically, you just wasted your money on me. And ultimately, the scriptures have been wasted on these people. They've failed to hear God's testimony about Jesus in the scriptures. Because, frankly, they don't want to hear it. And sadly, if they continue like this, they'll miss out on the salvation Jesus freely offers them, the promise of eternal life. Here, read with me from verse 36. Verse 36. 
where Jesus says, I have testimony weightier than that of John. For the very work that the Father has given me to finish, and which I am doing, testifies that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice or seen his form. You're spiritually deaf, you're spiritually blind. Nor does his word dwell in you. For you do not believe the one he sent. You diligently study the scriptures. Because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Oh, it's tragic, isn't it? It's tragic. All the evidence pointing to Jesus' true identity is right there in front of these people. There's the testimony of John the Baptist. And there's the testimony of God the Father through Jesus' miracles and through the pages of Scripture. It's all there right in front of them. And yet they refuse to accept it. But why? Why? I mean... What's made them so blind and deaf to the truth? Well, ultimately, it's because they love something more than the truth. More than the God who speaks the truth. What they really love is belonging to their group and having the acceptance and approval of those around them. For them to acknowledge the evidence and accept that Jesus really is the Messiah, the Son of God, well, well, that's going to upset people. Their family, their, their friends, the religious establishment. It's going to disappoint people. Maybe even make them angry. Following Jesus could make them social outcasts. And these guys just don't want to take that risk. What a contrast to Jesus. What a contrast to Jesus who who never looks to people for approval. Who's never swayed by what others think of him. All that matters to Jesus is what his heavenly father thinks. It's God he wants to please, not people. And you know, it's that allegiance that will of course take Jesus all the way to the cross in submission to his father's will. But for Jesus... It's worth it. It's worth it because he knows that there is only one God. And so there is only one whose opinion of him really matters. Jesus has come in the name of God, with all the authority of God. But these people have rejected him, preferring instead people who come in their own authority. These religious leaders have given people that place in their hearts that belongs to God alone. They've effectively made other people their God. And it's something for which they'll be judged. Not that Jesus himself will need to accuse these people on Judgment Day. No, ironically, it's their most revered prophet, Moses, who will be the one to do that. Because Moses, like all the other Old Testament writers, clearly foretold the coming of Jesus. 
And so now, by rejecting Jesus, these people are actually rejecting Moses too. The one they claim to follow. And so it's, it's perfectly fitting that he'll be the one who will accuse them before God on Judgment Day. Here, read with me these final verses from verse 41. Verse 41. Where Jesus says, I do not accept praise from men, but I know you. I, I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I have come in my Father's name and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you'll accept him. How can you believe if you accept praise from one another, yet make no effort to, to obtain the praise that comes from the only God? But do not think I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? Well, ouch. Ouch, how these words must have stung this, this proud and self-righteous group. You see, Jesus has piercingly diagnosed the cancer in their hearts. That they have rejected Jesus not because of a lack of evidence but because ultimately they value, they value the approval of people more than the approval of God. Though they've been waiting for the Messiah for centuries, now that he's come, they're not prepared to pay the social and relational price to follow him. Oh, what a tragedy. What a tragedy. They're, re they're rejecting Jesus because they fear the rejection of people. But sadly, that means that on Judgment Day, they will be rejected by God himself and judged for their unbelief. It's a terrible tragedy. But friends, I dare say it's a tragedy we, we still see today. Because even today, many, many people reject Jesus because of that exact same fear. They know that following him will mean rejection by those around them. Because we live in a world, you see, that doesn't really like Jesus and his teachings all that very much. And so choosing to follow him can come at a very high cost. And Jesus knew that. That's exactly why in our first Bible reading this morning, from Matthew chapter 10, he said, he said, do not suppose that, that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I've come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. You see, when a person chooses to follow Jesus, it can really rock the boat. In a family, uh, in, a, in a workplace, in a group of friends. It can mean disappointing people. It can mean losing their respect. You know, being seen as, as uncool or, or stupid or even offensive. 
For some, it may mean becoming the butt of jokes. And for brave Christians in some parts of the world, it may mean severe persecution or even death. And who wants any of that? I mean, seriously, who, who wants any of that? I mean, after all, it's perfectly normal for us to want people to like us, isn't it? Sure it is. It's just that when we want their approval more than God's approval, that it becomes a problem. When we're willing to disobey God's word in order to keep someone else happy. Because ultimately, that's giving that person God's rightful position in our lives. Treating them like God. But there is only one God. And Jesus demands our full allegiance if we claim to follow him. And that can be really, really hard. I remember a few years back now, a young woman from here in our church, and uh, she seemed to be going really strong as a Christian. Uh, but then suddenly, without warning, she backed right off. Uh, she started missing church and Bible study and, and other church activities. And, and when I asked her if there was a problem, she told me that she had developed all these, these doubts as to whether the Christian message was really true. That's okay, that's, that's normal, that happens. And, and so I organised to meet up with her. And, and I remember beforehand sitting down and, and writing out my top ten reasons for why I personally can't help but believe that Jesus really, really is Lord and Saviour and not some fairy tale. Anyway, I remember um, sitting down and with her and we went, we went through it together and it was obvious that, that she couldn't refute any of the reasons that I showed her. But you know, there was, there was still this, this coolness towards Jesus. Well, it was just a week or two later that I learned the reason. She'd started dating a non-Christian fella. And suddenly I realised her backing away from Jesus had nothing at all to do with the evidence and everything to do with this guy and her desire to have him in her life. You see, she realised she couldn't please both Jesus and this guy, and so she chose the guy. Christian, who would you give up Jesus for? Whose love, whose respect, whose praise could draw you away from Jesus? Your parents? Your mates? Your boss? That guy? That girl? Oh, please, 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 friend, don't let that happen. We need to be on our guard. There's just way too much at stake. And you know, while that story, the story of that girl, it saddens me greatly. Thankfully, I can tell you many, many more stories of people in our church who are putting Jesus first, even when it is really, really hard. Like, like I could tell you the story of the woman in our church who recently told her boss that she wouldn't work Sundays anymore. 
because her going to church is important to God. And who then, when the boss continued to try to roster her on for that day, stuck to her guns, politely but firmly, saying no. Or I could tell you of a number of, of Asian people in our church who have respectfully refused to bow down to ancestor idols, despite great pressure from their relatives. You know, these people who, who they love so dearly. Or I, I could tell you of individuals in our church who have persevered as Christians despite the ongoing derision and disappointment of their parents. I could tell you about wives who keep trusting Jesus despite the scorn of their non-Christian husbands. I could tell you about the girl in my Bible study who, who refused to stay silent when a loudmouthed bully at work started mocking Jesus and his followers. And in contrast to my previous story, I could tell you about the single woman who keeps refusing the advances of her attractive non-Christian co-worker because for her, pleasing Jesus is more important than a relationship. Friends, Jesus is very clear. We've got to make a choice. In our first Bible reading today, he said... Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. And so you see, each and every day, we need to keep putting Jesus first, despite the cost. We need to keep seeking his approval above the approval of people, as many of us already are. Praise God. And as Nabil Qureshi eventually came to do too. This zealous young Muslim man had, had suppressed the truth about Jesus for fear of hurting those he so dearly loved, in particular his mum and dad. But over time he came to the painful realisation that if Jesus Christ really is God, the Saviour, then he too needed to make a choice. In an interview with Christianity Today magazine, Nabil said, I began mourning the impact of the decision I knew I had to make. On the first day of my second year of medical school, it became too much to bear. Yearning for comfort, I decided to skip school. Returning to my apartment, I placed the Quran and the Bible in front of me. I turned to the Quran, but there was no comfort there. For the first time, the book seemed utterly irrelevant to my suffering, irrelevant to my life. It felt like a dead book. With nowhere left to go, I opened up the New Testament and started reading. I began reading fervently, reaching Matthew chapter 10, our first Bible reading today which taught me that I must love God more than my mother and father. But Jesus, I said, accepting you would be like dying. I, I will have to give up everything. The next verses spoke to me, saying, 
Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus was being very blunt. For Muslims, following the gospel is more than a call to prayer. It is a call to die. I knelt at the foot of my bed and gave up my life. A few days later, the two people I loved most in the world were shattered by my betrayal. To this day, my family is broken by the decision I made. And it is excruciating every time I see the cost I had to pay. But Jesus is the God of reversal and redemption. He redeemed sinners to life by his death and he redeemed my suffering by making me rely upon him for my every moment, bending my heart toward him. It was there in my pain that I knew him intimately. It was there that I found Jesus. To follow him is worth giving up everything. Would it be worth it to pick up my cross and be crucified next to Jesus? If he is not God, then no. Lose everything I love to worship a false God? A million times over, no. But if he is God, then yes. Being forever bonded to my Lord by suffering alongside him? A million times over. Yes. Friends, to follow Jesus is worth giving up everything for. So for those of us who are already Christian, let's make sure it's Jesus' approval that we are living for. And you who have yet to put your trust in him, Well, friend, I implore you today to not be like those religious leaders in today's passage, but to be like Nabil Qureshi, who see the overwhelming evidence that Jesus really is the Messiah from God, the one who came to save you, and give your life to him today. Let's pray. Oh, our gracious God, we, we want to thank you so very, very much for, for sending Jesus into the world. Thank you so very much for, for the testimony of his life and the miracles and the testimony of the Old Testament scriptures and the testimony of godly men like John the Baptist, all of which so clearly shows that Jesus really is your son, the, the saviour of the world. Lord, please please reveal to us if we've let anyone else take your rightful place in our hearts. Please help us in the way we now live to always seek first your approval. 
We pray for those we know who, who have seen the evidence for Jesus but, but have yet to put their trust in him. Please give them the courage to follow you, whatever the cost. For you, Lord, are the one and only God, the one worthy of giving it all up for, the one to whom belongs all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.